Pedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have pumped on in. The Giants have won the pennant. It is the Thompson to Clark podcast. I'm Double G here with Brad Evans, and uh, this is our... This, this episode may be a little bit longer than normal because we are taking next week off, which is Thanksgiving week. But we have a bunch of stuff to talk about, including the final series in our greatest San Francisco Giants tournament of all time. Brad, you and I did play-by-play like uh, a fake crook and kipe uh, <laughs> for all seven games. It went seven games, and we'll talk about it at the end, but that was a lot of fun. People who are on YouTube can can see all of those games on our YouTube channel right now. Yeah, Definitely check it out because it was a really fun series. You kind of get to see what the game is about uh, out of the park baseball uh, 21 that we've been using to do this the entire 15, 16 weeks now. Um, so really enjoy it. Now I'm thinking too, now I, I'm going to go finally back into my uh, my game save where I am the general manager slash manager of the uh, – 19 I'm trying to think of where I even started. I think I'm with the uh, 1993 Giants or 94 Giants. So um kind of wanted to pick up there. So yeah, so I got to go back to that. But yeah, check them out cuz I think we had a lot of fun doing it. I mean, we just got to sit around and talk baseball, which you know, <laughs> who, yeah, who doesn't well, like that. I mean, they're they're all sort of like mini podcasts anyways where yeah. we're we're watching the game, but we're talking about stuff that we were remembering <laughs> or stuff from those teams. So, well, we'll save the recap at the end of this show and we'll definitely um we'll, we'll definitely kind of just go over the games and 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 talk about who won so for this show i think we're gonna sit in uh news you know we'll have some news bits of things that are going on right now and then we're gonna save some hollow uh, hall of fame talk uh but the first thing is is that i think we should mention this here our podcast is part of the blue wire hustle network now i have a podcast the fight game podcast and I, my my podcast is on the blue wire podcast network and what hustle is is hustle is an attempt to help podcasters uh grow uh, help help podcasters create a bit of an audience and 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 help with tools and stuff so we are part of that program I wanted to do it because I wanted Brad to sort of see how the sausage was made when it comes to this stuff. And there's great networking opportunities. There's a lot of podcasts on that network. George Kittle's mother-in-law, by God, <laughs> is on this network. She she, I, she seemed like a really interesting person. I kind of want to pick her brain a little bit. But um, but yeah, so we're part of Blue Wire Hustle. So we're you know we're going to be with all those Blue Wire Hustle folks and helping each other grow their podcast. This is, you know, this is, we, we said in the beginning, it's going to be small. It's going to start small. We hope to grow the audience, but that's not necessarily why we're doing it. We just love talking about this stuff, but you know, it's, it's an avenue to get to more listeners and more following and all that stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, our Facebook page is part of that too. We always take suggestions. If you've got, I, I have a friend who listens and he sent me an email and he said, Hey, Hey, you guys should talk about, uh, you know, some hall of fame stuff. And we said, Hey, you know what? That's a good, a good Avenue to go down. Um, so, you know, if you've got suggestions for the show, if you've got uh, things you want to hear about, you know, we'll see if we can plug them in and, and, uh, uh, that's kind of what it's all about. It's a community. You know, we're doing the show and we're sitting here talking, but it's a community. I mean, we, we love to hear what other Giants fans have to say and other sports fans just in general. Yeah. And our email address is Thompson, the number two Clark at gmail.com. If you want to send us a note there or come to the, the Facebook group that Brad was talking about, uh, just, you know, you can search Thompson to Clark. Make sure you join the group because there's also a Facebook page. And then the Twitter handle is the same. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, reach out to us. I know um, who reached out to us on YouTube. One of the YouTube videos, uh, our buddy Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. Posted a, posted a note, a comment. I think he was he, he thought it was peculiar that there was 31 men left on base in that one game. And I, as, as when he said that, I was like, yeah, you know, he's right. That number was yeah. wrong. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you can leave 31 men on I don't, base. I don't know if you can. I mean, so you're looking at nine innings, and that's almost four runners per <laughs> inning. I, I mean, I'm going to have to go. You know, we have it on YouTube. I'm going to go back and watch it, and I'm going to count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever reason that that number was way off, but anyways, yeah. No, g- glad that Jerry is. On. I think Jerry is also someone that we want to talk to because he goes back even a little bit further than we do with some of those '70s teams. So I kind of wanted to bring him on to pick his brain about you know being a Giants fan. I mean, he was young in the '70s, but still, he has more memories of that era than either of us do. Well, and, and then I'd like to remind him too. He was young then, but he's super old now. So. <laughs> So, yeah, let's get him on the show because I'm the old guy. I want somebody older than me every now and then. So I'm usually the old guy. So, yeah, I like being the young. When we were on the blue wire thing the other day, we were on Zoom with the I call it the thing. And see how old I am for out loud. We were on blue wire Zoom the other day. I see all these other podcasters. I go, man, these guys are awesome. They're getting in there. And then I look and I go. I'm the only one with a gray beard. I'm the only one with gray hair. What's going on here, man? (laughs) Yeah, this is a good group, though, man. Like, podcasting is so interesting because even though, you know, everyone has a podcast, right? Like, everyone talks about a podcast. It's still so small in comparison to something like if you have a YouTube channel or, you know, from from a project standpoint, like, there's the number of podcasts are so small in comparison to what they'll be in 10 years. So we're still sort of on the the early floor of it. And that's what I like about it. I I like the creativity. I like the... um, just the ingenuity. And then, you know, also the, the, the thing that I don't think people really understand, which is Brad and I aren't necessarily going to sit there and, and call each other on a Sunday to talk about stuff. This is our time to do <laughs> right. that. You know, we'll text each other. We're, we're in constant <laughs> communication text wise, but you know, to actually have a conversation with somebody, that's a, a little bit of like a, a low key important thing to this whole thing for us. Well, uh, yeah. And I've got two kids and you've got 75 kids. So, I mean, <laughs> when, when it comes down to it, like you don't have time, I don't have time during the week. We're running around doing all kinds of different things. So to get that, that hour here to, sit and just talk baseball. You know, I got a notebook and something will pop up and I'll I'll write that down because I want to talk about that. Um, So this is fun. This is our time to get together. This is like our, you know, sitting at a bar, having a drink and just, you know, shooting the stuff about baseball. All right, let's get started because 
when we were chit-chatting the last time, lots of talk about what the Giants were going to do with Kevin Gossman, and he accepted their qualifying offer. So he's going to be back with the Giants for 2021 and probably... Depending on if Cueto is the ace or not, he's going to be one of the top two pitchers in that starting rotation, unless they go out and get someone like Trevor Bauer, uh, which is probably not... No, I don't, I, you never know, but it's, it's, it, it may not be something that they actually eventually do, but I'm glad that they're sort of in the conversation. But uh, Gossman, he's back, accepts the qualifying offer. What were your thoughts? You know, obviously a great pick. I, I think everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, Zadie pretty much said, we, we want to try to keep this uh, pitching staff together. We started building last year and then build on that. And... You know, getting Gossman back is as of as, again as of now. Could he be the number one? Probably. I mean, he's probably number one because Cueto didn't have a great season last year, and he's still building off of the arm surgery, uh, the Tommy John, and everything. Is still trying to come back from that. A short season last year, so I really like it for eighteen million. It's steep. But uh, the Giants have money, and if they don't get a Bauer. Um, you know, it's going to look like a bargain, a one-year $18 million deal. Now, if he has a great season and builds off the season he just had, then all of a sudden they're going to be looking at Gossman as like, okay, now we we got to lock him up for three. And, and I think that's kind of what they're doing, too, with the qualifying offer to get him for $18 million. They can now start the negotiation process and say... Look, we've got you for eighteen million, but let's knock that down to about eleven, twelve, and then let's extend you out over three, four years, maybe at mm-hmm. twelve, and have it escalate from there. And he's going to end up making more money in the long run because, again, if he gets hurt this season or doesn't have quite the season he had last year uh, in twenty twenty, so if twenty twenty one comes around, and he just doesn't quite have the season. At least he's got that security. So he's probably going to want a little bit of a longer deal, and the Giants want to lock him up a little bit longer. So it's definitely a win win to have. So is that what you think is going to happen? That's what I think. I I would say knowing this organization, where they are now with this uh, leadership, I'd say probably a three-year deal, including 2021. So 21, 22, 23. Uh, A lot of money is coming off the books, as we've talked about in 2021, a little bit from uh, from Samarja, and then more in 2022, 23 is going to be coming off the books. So they're going to have the money. Um, you know, pair that with a Bauer. If you can get the Bauer at five years, like they had been talking about, um, that's kind of been the, the rumor kicked around and we're going to kick into the next guy too, Drew Smiley, who we mm-hmm. were also talking about to, to round out the staff. That's the um, one that I'm really bummed about because that's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, uh, I always forget the, the pitching guru uh, on Twitter who comes from that. Uh, what, what is that group? The, that where they, they, they have all those really creative ways to retrain pitchers. And when pitchers need to, you know, grab a couple of uh, miles per hour on their fastball, they go to these guys. What is that group name? Yeah. I, oh, God. It escapes me right now. But I want to say his first name is Matt. Matt something. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he had worked with Smiley and Smiley had put on like three or four miles per hour on his fastball. And so like that was legitimately exciting because 
now he's striking out guys and he's he's blowing guys away and his strikeouts numbers looked awesome. I know he's coming back from injury, but he was one guy I was like, ah, oh, you know, the, the Giants do such a good job with these kind of players where, you know, they just need a little bit of something extra to help them get over the hump. And then, you know, and then he signs with Atlanta for 11 million. I think the Giants only had him for four million. So he he like more than doubled his contract just by having like that half of a half of a season. Well, and and the other thing too is you think four million? Oh, that's a bargain. He only made seven appearances, so right. it's a sixty game season. <laughs> so he went, that's a lot of money for seven appearances, right? So then he turns around and turns that into eleven million uh, in a hundred. Well, you know, predicted a hundred and sixty two game season coming up next year. Yeah, uh, but irregardless, I mean, the Giants and, and, you know, the nice thing that comes out of it for the Giants too, and, you know, reading articles and looking at things and, and you forget about this type of stuff and you go, that, you know, that's right. Zadie said in 2018 that when he came to the organization, he wanted it to be an attractive place for free agents, which is what every general manager should be saying anyways. Um, so he wanted it to be an attractive place for free agents. And sure enough, you know, Gossman, Smiley, Reclamation, Reclamation uh, projects, um, guys like that come here. And then a guy like Gossman will stay, Smiley will leave. So now you've got to find those other ones to come in here. But again, you throw that on, on his resume to say, hey, we can bring you here on a one-year deal and we can get you some more money by the time you're ready to leave. Now, as a Giants fan, is that the organization we want? Do, do we want that kind of organization or do we just accept it right now because we're still in that competing slash rebuilding phase? And I think right now you still accept that because you say, well, we can get a guy here for a year, a Smiley, a Gossman, Two great pitchers, uh, or not great pitchers, but two good pitchers who have a good upside, you know, and then compete in a season. We may see them walk. And, and again, right now you could totally accept that, but I don't think in a year or two, Giants fans are going to be cool with seeing guys coming on one year deals and then leaving. But it is something if you are a talent, if you are a Gossman or a Smiley, and you're like, look, I am at the, at the, part of my career where I really need to get over this hump or else I could be out of the league. I think it is an attractive place. And what could happen down the line, I'm not saying this year, or next year is when you do get good, you take flyers on these guys and they help you, you know, get over that hump of, of winning a, a division or winning a playoff series or when, you know, and so maybe, maybe they are only coming in on a short term thing, but I think the giants can utilize that to their advantage, especially when they get to a stage where maybe they just need one piece and it's this guy to come and, and be their four starter. And he comes in and because the giants are so good at these projects, like you said, it does help them, you know, win a title or something. Well, in that case, absolutely. And again, that's the, two years down the line from now. So if you get Gossman for a couple of years, if you get Trevor Bauer for a couple of years, then yeah, absolutely. You're going to get those guys on those one-year deals uh, to just pop in and be that four or five guy. But to have them be your one and two guy right now, uh, okay, again, I can I can let that fly at this stage of what the Giants are trying to build. But in a couple of years, if we keep seeing that and the turnover on the pitching staff just 
keeps going, you know, at the, especially at the top, the one, two, three spots, that's not going to sit well with me personally. And I don't think many other Giants fans will either. So the other small piece of this, and we'll move on after this, which is if they become this place where players can come in and sort of revitalize their career, maybe guys take a little less money to come to the Giants and do that because, like you said, the risk is that the Giants cannot or will not maybe sign them to a long-term... So so they're just in for a little bit and then they leave. But maybe on the Giants' side, okay, we kind of know what the deal is. You know, the Braves want to offer you five. Eh, come take three and, and, we'll, and we'll fix you. You know, we'll help you out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they could easily say, look at our resume, look at our track record, look at what we've done. Look at the, <laughs> we turned a guy who made seven starts and made four million into a guy who is now going to make, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 starts for the Braves, a contending team, and he's going to make 11 million next year. So yeah, that's really attractive. Uh, and, and that's what they're building right now. So they're building that type of organization, but at some point it will switch. You know, so so Giants fans have faith. And I think uh, the guy we were talking about, are you uh, we're talking about pitching sciences, mm-hmm. right? OK, so Matt Daniels. That's who it is. Yes. And on Twitter, and what is the organization that, that it's he, called pitching sciences? OK, I thought there was, uh, a, there was a different group that like started out of a warehouse and they started to measure. It's it's the um, MVP machine is the book. Oh, I'll, I'll look it up. Okay, keep, you can okay. keep going. Yeah, but Matt Daniels, he, he on Twitter, he is uh, Matt D underscore official. So at Matt D underscore official, if you want to check him out. Yeah, I, I, I'm still looking, but but we'll uh, right. we'll figure. I'll, I'll but what I'll let you do while I'm looking is I'll let you tell people what you are uh, drinking beverage wise tonight. Well, it's kind of a wild night here in Reno. We've got like. 50 to 60 mile an hour gusts of wind as we've get the uh, the wind starting to hop over the hill here. And unfortunately, this time of year, it's very dry. It has kicked up three fires in the area. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the news right now. Um, homes are burning up in the hills. It's just insane. Um, so I needed something to calm the nerves. So I, I went ahead and just made a Manhattan. Made a, nice. A nice rye Manhattan. I, had to, I think I had a rye on the show last week. Um, this time, you know, you pop it in with a half ounce of vermouth and uh, some bitters and give it a little stir with some ice, throw a little cherry in there. I tried to uh, I tried to use the old scraper to get the uh, to get like a orange rind, you know, off of a off an orange. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you use like the um, like a peeler just to kind of get the rind so you can twist it. I cut right through that orange. <laughs> <laughs> so I ate the orange and now I'm drinking the drink. <laughs> nice. Sound it sounds delicious. Uh so what I'm drinking is I think I'd mentioned this on one of our early shows that Jameson, the Jameson brand, has these whiskeys that are um based on uh like there's one that's based on like the the beer barrel. So it's like, you know, I, the IPA Jameson whiskey, and then there's there's another beer one. I think there's like a stout Jameson whiskey. And the one that I tried first, because I just thought it was so interesting, was the cold brew whiskey. So it's, you know, it's literally cold brew mixed into the whiskey, which gives it this unique flavor. Now, it wasn't a unique flavor that I 
necessarily was going back to <laughs> often, right? Yeah. It was too unique. And I was like, ah, I'll skip that one. Let's go back to this one. But so what I, what I thought about is like, oh, you know, I wonder if I turn it into a highball. And I mentioned in, in a previous show where you, where you have a big ice cube, you pour the whiskey in, and then you fill the rest of it with like seltzer water or something. So I decided, you know, maybe, maybe that'll make it a little bit more refreshing. Maybe it'll taste better. Maybe I'll, it'll be like a go-to. Mm, still not fantastic, uh, but it was a way for me to uh, to get back into drinking the uh, the cold brew Jameson. So that's what I'm drinking tonight <laughs> is a highball using cold brew Jameson and seltzer water. So that's so that's a mixer. I mean, you you're not going to be drinking that one straight so much anymore. You know, I tried. I tried to drink it straight. Just was not as. I, you know, I gave it several shots too. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. maybe it's, maybe I need to do, you know, maybe, maybe I, I forgot, you know, last time it's been three weeks and let, let's try it again, but mm, it's, it's not my favorite. So, <laughs> but I, I do drink the IPA one like during football, like we always get, um, and this is kind of old guy talk, but we go to California pizza kitchen and we get the cauliflower crust pizza go. for me specifically, the kids get to eat, you know, the normal pizza. And so I get, you know, I get the, you know, medium sized cauliflower pizza with mushrooms and sausage and pepperoni. And I have my IPA highball whiskey. And that's, nice. that's my meal when we watch football. Well, speaking of that, uh, speaking of pizza, um, and you know I'm not a huge wine drinker, but my my wife is. She, tomorrow night, she just hit me up. She goes, "Hey, tomorrow night, uh, our, our favorite pizza place just down the street. They've got uh, two pizzas and a Caesar salad where they actually put like uh, real um, oh what do you call them sardines right no mm-hmm. uh, anchovies 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 on the uh, real ones and you can ask for extra and a bottle of wine. She goes fifty bucks. So I I'll I pay whatever for their pizza. Sure. It doesn't matter to me. And then we get a bottle of wine with it. So I'm good. So you mentioned pizza. Now the cauliflower pizza, I saw you post a picture of that. What is that about? It is a cauliflower crust. Now the problem is, you know, how do you make the cauliflower crust? A, a, a pizza crust, it's not completely a hundred percent low carb. There's some other stuff that, I don't like that is in the crust, but if you're comparing to normal pizza crust and then this cauliflower crust, I can actually eat the cauliflower crust and be okay versus if I ate the regular pizza crust, I would like just say, okay, I'm not going to eat for two days now because I <laughs> failed my diet so badly. The but you know what they have is um, they have this fat dough crust. Like if you look up fat dough. So the other thing about it is the cauliflower crust is gluten-free. So people who, don't, who can't eat gluten, that's kind of a, a way that they yeah. do Yeah. Okay. That but so they have this thing called fat dough pizza crust and Crystal will make this every once and again, but it is a little bit of a pain in the butt and it's uh, lots of... Uh, I think it's uh, mozzarella cheese, almond flour, and cream cheese. And I think you that sort of makes into a dough. I don't know the exact recipe, but she's done that before. And so that has just a ton of fat if you're on a high fat diet. High fat, high, you know, high, high protein, low carb. That fits perfectly. It's just, I think it's just a little bit of a pain in the butt to make. But I, so she was making that for a while and I was loving life. She's like, ah, let's just get it from California Pizza Kitchen because it's a pain in the butt to make. And I'm like, okay, it's not as good. You know, it's not as okay with my diet, but it is, you know, better than pizza crust, normal pizza crust. And it tastes really good as well. So 
Nice. I would have to try that sometime. I, I've seen that um, pop up in some places. I'm okay. The pizza place that we go to, and then we'll get off pizza, but you know, you got to talk about pizza. But the place that we go to here in Reno, they have the thin crust. So it's just, you know, it's like the artisan pizzas mm-hmm. and they've got a gigantic brick oven with the wood in it and they throw it in there and they watch them do it for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. They pull the thing out. It's ready to go. Uh, so when you, or from the time you sit down and order the pizza till they bring it, it could literally be like five minutes. Wow. If there's nobody in the place, which it's usually pretty packed because it's a very, very popular place. But during COVID, it's, you know, they always have these pickup deals. And so, uh, so tomorrow night, I, I mean, I swear she gets two and I'm like, you guys can all split the one and I could easily eat this one, but I always get nixed on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the guy, the uh, Matt Daniels, the, the group that the company that he had built was called driveline. And the, there's the, the book is called MVP Machine, so it's a really good baseball book. I still am not finished because it's a little bit of a, uh, it's not an it's not a conversational read to say the <laughs> least, right? But it is still really good. So I, I'm not finished with it yet. But that's uh, they they cover Matt and, and driveline and everything in that book. A lot of lot of science, I would imagine. Yeah, it's just the the you know the style of analytical writing and stuff too. Yeah. All right, so uh, the other story before we get to the Hall of Fame, uh, and I guess there's just two other things, but uh, Mac Williamson suing the Giants because the bull, the bullpen, which used to be on the uh, down the uh, third base and first base lines in right and left field, they moved them out into uh, the out into the center field area. But I think partially the reason why they moved them is because Matt Mac uh, banged his head as he as he slipped going chasing a ball. It effectively ended his career, and now he is suing the Giants because of uh, his career being over. And you know the I guess it was you know dangerous or whatever. I haven't looked at the lawsuit exactly, but that kind of made the news. And I think most Giants fans were like, you know. I totally get it. Like your career <laughs> right. ended. You, we were a fan of yours and it looked like you were going to start playing well. And then boom, end, ended his career because of the concussions. And uh, so he's back in the news with uh, the uh, news of a lawsuit. Yeah, that was a crazy story. When I saw that one pop up, I was like, oh, man. And like you said, I, that, that makes perfect sense. Because that's kind of a, a hazard, and the Giants knew about it. Because what do they do? You know, two years later, they go ahead and take the mounds out. So they knew it was an issue. They saw guys getting hurt. Um, so you have to say they're they're probably going to settle this one. I would imagine. Again, I I work in the criminal law field, not so much the civil law field. So when I see people talk civil lawsuits on Twitter, I just kind of, I leave it alone because I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but I do, from what I have seen and I, and I get it and I totally understand the giants are probably going to be at fault here. And I'm sure that sure that they know they're at fault unless there's some specifics in the player contracts, right? That says, if you bang into a wall, if you're doing something in the line of your job, um, you can't sue us. You're not going to get any money, but this is doing something in the line of his job, but it's like, you know, somebody leaving a ladder out or leaving water, uh, in the kitchen and the tarp. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, so who's to say, but, but I say, I say, I, I say 
what I think is going to happen is that the Giants will end up paying him out a, a nice, healthy sum of money. Um, you know, was he going to have a gigantic career? Probably not. So, you know, I can't even guess how much they're going to settle for, but I imagine they will. So the statement says uh, for, from Max says, my injuries could have been avoided, but for the park's failure to relocate the bullpens to where they belonged in the first place, trying to fight through the concussion over the last two and a half years has been difficult, both personally and and professionally, he also says, I'm left wondering if tomorrow will be better. If tomorrow, I'll get my life back. Unfortunately, that day has yet to come, and my life in baseball has effectively come to an end. So he's not actually suing the Giants. He's suing the China Basin Ballpark Company, LLC. But I believe the Giants own the ballpark. So right. uh, it, it's some technicality, uh, just you know, as far as the lawsuit is concerned. Yeah, so he, he couldn't probably technically... Uh, sue the Giants because that's not the ballpark. So you sue the owners of the ballpark, which are the Giants, but you have to go through a name. It's like a, you know, whatever. I, I don't, again, civil side of things. I don't really know, but that's brutal, man. I mean, it's just, you feel bad for the guy. It's just awful because I've had concussions. I've had, uh, Two really rough ones. Um, were these just me. baseball related? One of them was baseball related. Uh, I was playing catcher. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. 19, 20 years old. Backs uh, uh, no, uh, so I was playing the San Jose Men's Baseball League. It was a short lived mm-hmm. <laughs> league back in the Bay mm-hmm. Area. And I was playing catcher. Guy from the San Jose City College team uh, comes barreling around third base. Oh, no. Double my size. I mean, I'm a little dude. I'm 5'8", 160 at the time. It was probably 180. Uh, Guy comes barreling around. I got the ball on one hop from the outfielder, tagged him. He drilled me. Everything comes flying off. Head hit the ground, just bare head on the ground, and uh, held on to the ball. He was out. And so, but I stood up, tried to grab my mask and couldn't even focus to figure out where my mask was. Um, and that was pretty much it. I was done for that season. Uh, we didn't have too many games left, but yeah, it takes a good couple of months, but to hear that it's taken him two and a half years is just, man, that's brutal. Yeah. Head injuries are nothing so sad with. Uh, yeah. And you know, I think a lot of giants, the kind of cool thing about giants fans is, especially those Giants fans who live near minor league ballparks, because Mac Williamson becomes a fan favorite because he comes through the entire organization from San Jose through the AAA uh, club in Sacramento. And so, you know, he had a, he had a pretty large fan base of, of people in the, or, you know, in the fan base who wanted him to succeed. So, you know, it was, it, it was seemingly, Every every other, it felt like every year, the possibility of him making the team. You're like, okay, is this finally going to be the year? And then something would happen, and 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 he, you know, he'd get cut. They'd send him back down, and then that's oh, you know, he's retooling his swing. And okay, what happened? You know, still not ready. You know, he he's not he's not the he's not going to win the starting job. So we're going to let him play in AAA. And then finally, the year that he got hurt, I think he had his best. His best year, his best offseason, his best spring training, and he—I think he legitimately won the job. Yeah, I think it was what eighteen, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, two thousand eighteen. And then you know that's when he got hurt, and he still tried to play. Um, 
it was either 18 or 19. It might, it might have actually been 19, but he still tried to play. He went to Seattle and he had uh, a handful of at bats uh, with Seattle. Um, and then uh, 77 at bats with Seattle. And actually, you know, not not great as you can imagine uh playing trying to play with with a concussion so just yeah just sort of sad because you wanted to see him succeed because so many guys have come through those pipelines and not succeeded so it's like oh can we get one of these guys yeah through an outfielder can you know can we get one i mean how many you know uh, we have a mac williams uh, williamson we have uh you know damon miners we have those type of guys who are just bombers in the minor leagues and they'd always John come up Bowker. with it. John Bowker. John <laughs> Yes. One, one of my Twitter friends, whenever Bowker would come up to the plate, she would tweet Bowker mania. <laughs> Shout out to at uh, Gidget on Twitter. She's hilarious, oh, but she's probably not listening because she ha- has, a, has a life. <laughs> uh, has a life. <laughs> she's got more kids than you? <laughs> no, she, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, no, nobody does. <laughs> but yeah, he was 28 years old when he quote unquote retired from the game. So that's, that's the part where I think he's got an argument. I mean, he, you know, because he he's got a great minor league... Um, uh, a baseball card, should we say? The back of his baseball card for the minor leagues probably looks awesome, and so he could still have been making money in the minors and toiling around and doing his thing. But um, you know, those head injuries again. Football players, they can seem to play through them, but then they catch up. You know, in their older age, they really catch up hardcore. Uh, baseball players, you just don't see it very much unless there's a freak injury like that. Or uh, you get hit in the head by a pitch, or your Brandon Belt, yeah, which yeah. you just get hit by 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 a throw to first base when you're warming up your infielders, which just, is you know the horse luck, yeah, yeah, just the horrible worst. luck. So you know, but yeah, so that'll that'll linger for a while, I'm sure, and and uh, I'm sure he's going to get some good money out of it, which he, he deserves it. All right, so we had another uh, another story, and I, I screwed this guy's name up before, so I want you to go ahead and oh, you God. can talk about it. And I, I do have the article, so I, I can read from the article, but I want you to introduce this story. All right. So the Giants are tied to another reclamation project in Jake Odorizzi. Uh, he pitched for the Twins the last uh, few years. Um, I believe he had, uh, I got to punch him up here. I believe he had uh, 15 wins just yeah, two years ago. Yeah, 2019. Uh, this past year, uh, injuries uh, banged up a little bit, short season. Another guy, he pitched in four games. For the Twins, 13 and two-thirds innings, gave up a lot of runs, just wasn't quite right. But going back to that 2019 season, um, I believe he was an all-star. Uh, he had a ERA plus of 129, um, and he was 15 and seven with a 3.51 ERA. So he's been tied to the Giants and their MO and what it is that they do. Um, I left him off on, on Facebook. We had a poll. I left him off that list and uh, somebody commented his name on there. And I thought, yeah, I, I should have, I almost put him on that list, but I thought, I wonder because of his past and because of his recent past uh, and his recent pitching was, was, 
pretty good. And he was number eight in the rookie of the year voting for Tampa Bay in 2014, if we go back that far. But because of that, if he was going to be a little bit more expensive and being 30 years old, he was going to say, I don't want to do a one-year deal. Mm -hmm. I want a three- or four-year deal. Um, Minnesota might make a run at him, uh, but I have a feeling he might be a little too expensive. And again, that's just a feeling I have. So the reason why I like him, and I didn't even think about this until you mentioned it, is so 2019 was his best year, though he had really a really strong year, back-to-back years, actually. You know, wins and losses is a little bit of a different story. We know how that works. But in 15, 169 innings, 149 hits, uh, 150 strikeouts. So really, really solid numbers there. The following year, he went 10 and 6, 187 innings. So he didn't quite get to that sort of 200 number that, that you look for with some of these starting pitchers, but uh, 170 hits. So his, his hits per inning was, was nice and 166 strikeouts. So he's not quite a strikeout per inning like some of the dominant guys. But in that 2019 year, like you talked about, 159 innings and 178 strikeouts. So he did get back. He did. That was his first year, uh, actually second year in the bigs where he did go over the the one strikeout per inning. He did it also in his rookie year, the year that you said that he was in the running for the rookie of the year. So that is interesting to me because... You know this. The way that this league goes now, if you can't miss bats, it's it's a little bit unfortunate because of you know the all the home runs and and stuff. And but it's, so it's so it's really this this is why Gossman and Smiley were both valuable for the Giants this year, and maybe why Cueto wasn't as valuable because he he's not missing bats, and those guys are missing bats. Well, and that's kind of the double-edged sword, too, that you look at because, okay, great. I mean, the guy is striking out a ton of, of batters, but to, to get strikeouts, you got to throw a lot of pitches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. If you're a contact pitcher like uh, Greg Maddox who can uh, uh, you know, pitch to contact, paint corners, do different things, not going to get a lot of strikeouts, but you're going to get a lot of weak contact. Um and you do have a lot of big swings nowadays. So he kind of found something in 2019. And then again, looking at it, like you said, there's there's not one season where he got closer than 187 innings to that 200 inning mark. So he really doesn't have a lot of road wear on him. Uh, so at 30 years old, I mean, he's more like a 28 year old, uh, just because he still has quite a bit left in him, I would imagine at this point. So I, I, I would love to see the Giants take a chance on him. Um, do you, can you get this guy for, you know, a, a, a smiley type of 2021 contract? So, uh, so a year, 11 million, uh, because with Gossman going at 18 and, and now smiley going at 11, um, the Giants are going to have to pony up more than 4 million this year to get a guy <laughs> that they might be able to turn around, I think. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. You know, baseball right now, we know that the free agent market is not going to be great for some of these guys. I think the best players will still hit the jackpot, but those sort of middle guys who used to, you know, maybe get more than uh, than than you would think, that's probably not happening. So some of these players, unfortunately, may may have to take these one-year deals in order to 
show that they can still play and then they're you know they're playing for contracts for the next few years so that that would be kind of interesting and the giants are going to be in on all the guys like that every single guy just like him oh yeah and and you know they pretty much told us fans of baseball to buckle in it's a long off season it's not going to be a fast market although i mean smiley's gone already um, and that, and that was fairly quick. So who knows? I mean, you may see, you may see it kind of pick up a little bit. Remember back in the day, the whole thing was, uh, usually around Thanksgiving. That's when the big guys would sign and then you'd be done. Well, now it's like, you know, February, yeah. March, almost a, a week into spring training. Some guys don't even want to go to spring training. Like, ah, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> I'll sign in mid-March. <laughs> All right, let's look at this year's Hall of Fame. The ballot just came out a couple of days ago. And we also wanted to have a discussion, uh, which we'll get to in a second, about where Will Clark fits into this discussion. And so the ballot comes out last year. Jeter gets it gets every ballot except for one. So he's got like 99.7. So he's he, he, he makes it on the ballot. Uh, the year before, Mariano Rivera gets 100% of the ballot. First time that's ever happened. Even Ken Griffey Jr. didn't get 100% of the ballot. And so this year, I'm looking at the ballot and I'm thinking like, okay, is there even going to be somebody who makes the Hall of Fame off of the ballot this year? So we have Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds as the returning highest percentage. You have to get 75% of the ballots to make the Hall of Fame. Schilling got 70 last year. My guess is just because they want somebody to make the Hall of Fame. I think the 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 writers may eke Schilling over the top and and and, and that might that might be our best bet here. Clemens and Bonds, there's just going to be a segment of that uh, writer base, the voting base, that are just not going to vote for them. And I don't think they'll ever get in until, you know, maybe down the line with the Veterans Committee and all that stuff. But after that, you have Viskel at 52.6% of the ballots. And then Scott Rowland, 353 Billy Wagner, 31.7%. Gary Sheffield, 305 He is probably hurt by the era uh, because his offensive numbers are fantastic. And then Helton, Manny Ramirez, who is definitely hurt by the era because his offensive numbers are fantastic too. And then someone who I've always been intrigued about because I think his offensive numbers blow away most second basemen uh, is Jeff Kent. He's never really got uh, a decent following for that. So he's at 27 and a half. And then Andrew Jones, Sammy Sosa, Andy Pettit, and Bobby Abreu. So those were all in the ballot last year. Now, newcomers to the ballot. Tim Hudson, who uh, spent the last uh, year or two with the Giants of his career. Mark Burley, Torrey Hunter, Dan Heron, Barry Zito, Aramis Ramirez. And that's pretty much the line of guys who will probably get votes. And, you know, if you don't get to that 5% of the ballot, they do not put you back on the following year. So there are 25 people on the ballot probably the two two or three worst candidates on the ballot who if they get one vote i'm gonna be so mad latroy hawkins <laughs> nick swisher michael kadire aj burnett oh shane victorino as well yeah that's it's it's kind of a weird first year class this year right i mean there's, there's no surefire guy at all. absolutely not even is there no surefire guy 
I don't think any of those guys ever get in. Maybe, maybe Torrey Hunter, because of his longevity, his consistency. Uh, he was a 277 hitter over his lifetime, 353 home runs, and no ties to any PEDs. Um, but an outfielder. So that's that, I think that's what's going to hurt him. 353 home runs in that era as an outfielder. I mean, what do you, what do you do? You either say, well. You know, guys like Manny Ramirez at 500 home runs, but it was that era. Yep. And and maybe he did PEDs. I mean, there was a little bit of a tie there to him. Well, we know Manny Ramirez did PEDs. And you, you want to know why I know? How's that? Okay. I think he's with the Dodgers at this point. He gets suspended because he was taking... Uh, female hormones. Oh, that's right. And so the only reason that you would take female hormones is because it counterbalances male testosterone. So he was his male testosterone, male testosterone, his testosterone <laughs> had stopped producing naturally. So the trick to trick your body and to produce testosterone again, because when you take steroids, you're, you're you, with the with the synthetic stuff. Your ba- your body basically says, "Okay, we got enough. We're not going to produce it naturally anymore." Right. So the 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 estrogen he takes the estrogen, which tricks the body to kickstart the natural testosterone again. So that's what he failed for. So that is an absolute tell for what he was doing before then. That's right. I forgot. So there was a definite tie, and there was also the talk about him doing them back when him and Big Poppy were in the same developmental league when they were really young. Right. I want to say like 16, 17 years old. So there's also that tie as well. But yeah, Torrey Hunter, I mean, he wasn't tied to any of that, but then he only had 353 home runs because he wasn't tied to that. (laughs) So, so what do you do there? I mean, how do, how are you, how, it's gotta be really tough as a baseball writer at this point. If I was a writer and I had a vote, I think at this point, knowing with what the Astros did and how lightly they got slapped on the wrists, knowing how the game is changing and everything's changing and, and that's just how the era was back then. I think I would just throw all that out at this point. And, and I think I would just have to say Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, uh, uh, you know, Ramirez, all these guys are getting in because you still have to kind of look at their numbers overall and just say, look at those numbers, look at what they did. I know it might've been because of something but you just at some point you got to throw that out. Otherwise, you're going to have this maybe two, three, four years in a row here where we're not going to get anybody into. Yeah, the I, I don't know what the 2022 class looks like, but uh, I, I can look that up as we're talking about it. Um, the the thing about the cheating that really frustrates me is uh, just generally baseball. Like I, I remember, I was probably like. 10 or 12 years old. And I, I bought this book called, uh, it ain't cheating if you don't get caught. <laughs> and so I'm reading about all of these ways that guys are cheating and they're getting away with it because, you know, they're being really slick about it. And then obviously, you know, there's a whole section on Gaylord Perry, right? Gaylord oh, yeah. Perry is, uh, 
is is the master of the master of the spitball and and uh you know he he got he gets in the hall of fame right so they've at least decided that that form of cheating is gamesmanship and you know what if george springer ends his career with 500 home runs does he not go into the hall of fame because he was a part of this cheating scandal with the astros which major league baseball was like eh yeah it is whatever. what it is <laughs> AJ Hinch, hey, you, we're gonna you know the Astros. We're gonna fire you. Is out for sixty games basically this short season. Well, Cora, Tigers Cora's go, oh, back well, managing the Red Sox. Exactly. What what was that all about? The whole thing's a farce. I don't know. So so your your best bets. You mentioned him for twenty twenty two, and who knows how they will be voted because of the steroid stuff, which is Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz. Mark Teixeira, Jimmy Rollins, Carl Crawford, Jake Peavy. So there is definitely a possibility that none of those guys get in. Well, Jimmy Rollins, I would say, probably gets pretty close. Because you know of the problem that? with Jimmy Rollins? What's that? He hit 264. Yeah. Yeah, that's a rough number, too. So let's go to 2023. Carlos Beltran, John Lackey, <laughs> Jared Weaver. So you're uh, absolutely right. Matt Cain uh, is going to well, be. Well, I mean, I mean yeah, he's a great pitcher and we love him, but, but he's not a Hall of Yeah, player. yeah. So, I mean, basically what you said is, is pretty right on, which is there's a possibility that if these, if the guys who are tainted by the steroid era don't get in, you know, maybe Schilling does get in. And, that, and that's sort of my prediction is that because the, the, the baseball voters know what this ballot looks like in four or five years, that they know that, okay, you know, this is, this is probably going to be our best shot. In 2024, you do have Adrian Beltre. Uh, I think he probably gets in. I don't know if he gets in first uh, ballot, but I think he gets in. And then you also have Joe Maurer, depending on uh, you know his his off his 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 home run, his, his power hitting prowess pretty much died at 143 home runs. Yeah. But at least I think Beltre is probably your best candidate that, for whatever reason, has not been you know besmirched by this steroid era. Yeah, and. You know, that's a rough class next year, too. <laughs> just thinking about those guys. I mean, like you said, Jimmy Rollins in what, 254? Did you say? 264. 264. But again, you're going to have this big blank dark era if you don't start voting for these quote unquote cheaters. I mean, I'm not saying quote unquote, they cheated, all right? I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. But, it's, but what, what does the cheating mean? And, and, and my whole thing with right. Major League Baseball is. They had to be idiots to not know that these guys were taking stuff. <laughs> right. Well, but so, he like, so, turned, yeah, he turned his eye, his head. He right, said, so I, you, I don't want to see it. And, and this is all related to the strike in 94, right? Strike in 94 happens. 95 season comes back. The popularity is down. Uh, gates are down. Box office is down for people coming to live games. And what brings them back is Big Mac. It's Sammy Sosa. And then it is, after that, it is Bonds. And so those guys were doing what they were doing, and popularity of baseball was back at a high level, and Major League Baseball was like, eh, 
you know, like we we're happy with it. So, you know, let's not really be too, too frustrated. So that's the part that frustrates me is, you know, these guys, uh, Bonds and, and McGuire and Sosa and, you know, A-Rod's a little bit different because, you know, do you know the, the, what A-Rod was actually taking or what he got caught with? No, I don't remember. Okay. So they have these things called designer steroids. So they are created so that they don't get flagged on these tests like normal testosterone or or, or, super cheating. So, so what it is, is so you had these scientists who were just so far ahead of the game here. And so they, they would put these, uh, this testosterone. And I actually think it was actually, uh, there's a human growth hormone element to it, which human growth hormone on its own is probably not helping uh, A-Rod hit home runs, though you, you, you stack it with the testosterone and it basically just enhances the testosterone. So basically A-Rod would, um, I don't know, like let's say 8 o'clock in the evening, he would suck on this like candy and it had the acting testosterone in the candy. Jeez. Oh, so it had a... Um, I think it's something like eight hours or like there's a time limit in which the body will have it in the system. So what he does is he takes it and then when he goes to the restroom in the morning, he pees it out and it's gone. It's out of his system, but it has already, uh, it has already been absorbed. The stuff that needed to be absorbed is absorbed. And so when, when the, when the doctor comes in in the morning and he's like, Hey, drug test, as long as a rod went to the bathroom, he's good. That's how scientific these these steroids were, and so when uh, when when the doctor got flagged and and they showed the shipments of what A Rod was getting, they're like, oh, that's how he was passing all these tests because he passed them all, <laughs> but it was because he was using these uh, these designer steroids. That's amazing, and and seeing that, I mean that type of stuff again. What what can you say? Can you say you know he cheated more than this guy cheated, or or so? At some point, you just have to say they all cheated. Yeah, right. I mean, there, I mean there's guys there's guys in currently who I'm sure oh took steroids. They may not have been heavy abusers, but you know, athletes and competitors and these guys they're always trying to improve. Now there is a moral compass aspect to it, you know, whatever. And the, the 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 ones that I think get, get a little bit of. Uh, not an unfair shake, but when you have a lot of these athletes from the different countries, the poorer countries, their ticket to having a halfway decent life is if they can hit a fastball. And so, you know, it's hard for me to be super upset at them because it's like, hey, like they need you know, either they did that or they were going to, you know, die poor. So that that that's a little bit of a of a of a deeper thing when it comes to this stuff, but you know, I, I I'm sort of with you in that I think at some point you what I what I wish that they would do is that I wish they would sort of take the steroid years out, right? Because you know, Bagwell and Piazza make the Hall of Fame. You, they were in the era too, and I saw Jeff Bagwell's arms like gigantic. Right, <laughs> I was just about to bring up Jeff Bagwell. So those guys are in because they were able to fall under the radar because guys like Barry and Sammy and Big Mac really took the fall for them. So you know you have this thing where these guys are in who probably did something, 
And it's just because they weren't the first or the second or the third person who you just looked at and flagged, they kind of slid under the radar. And there's probably a hand, you know, a good handful of guys in Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame who were in, in that boat. And then you even go back historically, you know, they're talking about, you know, Mays and, and Henry Aaron and all these guys were taking amphetamines just because like they were playing so many days in a row that they needed that to, to wake them up, these caffeine pills and stuff. Uh, I mean, w- w- technically, that's probably cheating too. But look at the—you got to look at the place and time. So I—I I, I don't really have a problem with the steroid thing. If you want to take the years, you want to take those steroid era years out and go, okay, let's base it on the steroid, the non-steroid era years. Bonds and Clemens still got to go in because their careers yeah. were still tremendous uh, without that. Uh, but I don't know about these other guys because there are some guys, you know, like Manny Ramirez. He played throughout the entire steroid era. So how do you look at his career? Well, and 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 like you said too. I mean, so you can take out the steroid era. Here's the tricky part: where do you start? Where do you end? I would say you start at ninety-seven. That would be my general guess, and I think you end it around oh two. But then you have the A Rod stuff, with, which happened several years after that. But I just think he was he he was rich enough to 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 do it right. So that yeah, that, that does make it a little murky. I, I don't know. It, well, that and then the players who who do you do you just do you just disregard everybody's stats from that time period? Because I'm looking at Bagwell's numbers, right? He's in. Okay, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, started out as his 23-year-old year, he had 15 home runs. Then he had 18, then 20, then bam, 39. Okay, so he doubled his home run total when he hit 26 years old. Then 21, then 31, then 43, 34, 42, 47, 39, 31, 39, 27, 3. So he had a normal trajectory of a home run hitter. At 36 years old, he hit 27 home runs. Uh, there's not too many 36-year-olds hitting 20, almost 30 home runs. So do you look at that and say, well, he had a normal trajectory, so he's in the Hall of Fame. But Barry Bonds did not have a normal trajectory, so he's not in the Hall of Fame. But how many of those writers were also say that Barry Bonds was the most talented baseball player they've ever seen? So he's not going to have a normal trajectory no matter what. And I'm not saying he didn't cheat. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff tied to him. But you've got to say, but the guy was a tremendous talent. And you still have to be a tremendous talent to be able to hit 70 home runs in a season and to hit 700 for your career. So, again, where do you draw the line? It, it, the baseball writers are drawing their own line, for sure. And that, that's a given. I mean, looking at this, the, the, the voting every year, they've drawn their own line. They've told us what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, um, which I don't agree with. I think... I think if there is going to be a line drawn, there needs to be a committee. There needs to be somebody getting together and saying, okay, this is how we're going to do it. You know, if you have any ties to it, we're going to investigate it more. We're going to find out more about it. And then we'll come to a final conclusion. But I just don't think writers can sit there and say, yeah, we're going to make up our own rules and we'll just kind of go as we go. All right. So let's look at someone who I think if his career... If the injuries didn't happen to his body, he 
probably makes the Hall of Fame, but because they did, he doesn't get in. And in fact, he was on the ballot in 2006, did not get the 5%, and so never made it back on the ballot, which is Will Clark. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what's the best way to measure Will. So there are a bunch of different analytics that you can you can subscribe to as far as what makes a Hall of Famer. Uh, Bill James has a stat called Hall of Fame Career Standards Leader, and he's got this point system. Uh, Babe Ruth is number one at 79 for all-time hitters. Barry Bonds is two at 77. Mays and Alex Rodriguez are also at 77. Then you go down the list, Hank Aaron at 75. So of active players today, Albert Pujols is number 20 on this list. Miguel Cabrera is number 26 on this list. And I went down the line to search for Will. Uh, we mentioned Joe Morgan when he passed. He is uh, he's at fi- He has 56 uh, on this list. Adrian Beltran is right behind Joe, which is, I think, probably portends pretty well for him to make the Hall of Fame. Big Poppy is right there. You got to go down a ways to find Will on this list. Uh, he is uh, below guys like uh, Ryan Sandberg, who is in the Hall of Fame, Jim Rice, Kenny Lofton, Lou Brock, Miguel Tejada. Will Clark has a 42 score for this metric. Now, if you look at uh, the uh, you know the war. Um, that metric, there's you know, there's different ones that we talked about before, sort of uh, War Seven, and then there's Jaws, and Jaws is basically trying to find the peak seven years of a player. So, for instance, Barry Bonds's Jaws is one seventeen. So when you look at when you look at uh, Will, like where, where does Will fit into that for for Jaws? Will is at fifty six. And a half, so he would be behind guys in Jaws. He he he's behind um, Jason Giambi. No, actually, he's uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, he's behind Jason Giambi. He's behind John Olerud. So just guys, kind of that you can compare him with. He's behind Bill Terry, who is a Hall of Famer. He's behind Eddie Murray, who is a Hall of Famer. But that that analytic, he is also above guys like Tony Perez. He's above Big Poppy. He's above. Mark Teixeira, he's above the crime dog for Emma Griff. He's above Tim Linscombe killer, Paul Goldschmidt. So he kind of fits in in that analytic, and you're like, oh, maybe he is on on that cusp. So I don't know how you feel. I've always felt that Will was not a Hall of Famer and that if he had like another two or three years where his body did not break down, he absolutely gets in. But where, where do you sit with Will? A total tough case. And like you said, you know, you're talking about Jaws. One guy, let's just name a couple guys that he's above in Jaws. Manny Ramirez, Todd Helton, Sammy Sosa, Gary Sheffield. He's above all those guys in Jaws. Um, His OPS plus on his career is 137. So 100 is the average. Uh, we've got guys on that we talked about on this Hall of Fame ballot list right now. And again, Will Clark's not on the ballot. He, he's not on the ballot this year. Uh, he came up again in 2016. Um, and I can't remember the name of the darn committee. Um, but he was he was on this committee uh, where they could then go back and look at the players from 1988 on 
not not the old timers, but the 1988 on and say, okay, we we can pick a guy or two here from this list that didn't get their 5%, got kicked off the ballot, and now we can try to get them back on the ballot. He didn't get that in 2016, but that's not to say he can't come up again. And again, I don't know the exact rules. So these are all kind of hypotheticals from our standpoint. Uh, but his OPS plus is 137 on his career, right? Better than everybody on that list of Hall of Fame candidates this year, except for Bonds, Ramirez, and Sheffield. Mm -hmm. Uh, Better than everybody else. And so that that's better than Sosa, who hit 609 home runs. (laughs) Exactly. And that's I mean, then that should tell you something right there. He was the model of consistency. He did have a lot of injuries, but even through those injuries, he was consistent. He had 15 straight seasons of an OPS plus of over 100. Again, 100 is the average for that season for those players in that season in in that uh, Major League Baseball. So he had 15 straight seasons of 100 or more OPS plus and over 1.5 war. Um, Other guys who have done that in that era, Frank Thomas, Eddie Murray, Rafael Palmiero. Uh, That's it. The the, I mean, un, it, the unfortunate thing for Will is so he leaves the Giants in ninety three. So he has hundred and thirty two games played, which is the lowest of his career at that point, except for uh, his rookie year. His rookie year, he got hurt uh, midway, I think, and that kind of stopped him. Uh, he only played one hundred eleven games in his rookie year. So nineteen ninety three, he's down to one hundred thirty two games. So he misses thirty games because of injury. And then that kind of kicks off a, a bit of um, a, a, a bit of a routine for him. The next season with Texas, 110. The next season with Texas, 123. The next season with Texas, 117. So he just can't get back into the lineup, you know, every day. Finally, in 98, which I think was a, a bit of a comeback season for him and one that he probably holds very in high regard for his career. I wonder how many games he played as a DH, though, probably a, a decent amount. He uh, he played 149 games. He had 636 ABs, 23 jacks, 102 RBI, and then, uh, yeah, all of his sort of his counting stats were, were much higher than they'd been. But then 99 falls off again. He's hurt for a lot of that year, only plays 77 games. 2000, uh, he plays a combined about 130 with uh, Baltimore and St. Louis. Though, when he goes to St. Louis in 2000, super productive. 345, 12 jacks, 42 RBI with a 1.081 OPS for that last season. And then he's done. Like, he has this tremendous... End of the run. End of the run with uh, St. Louis. To end his career, you would think, okay, Will's coming back, and you know he's 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 a little long in the tooth. You know he's he's going to be in his upper thirties, but has a tremendous second half of that of that season, and then he's just done. I think if he had two more seasons, or th- let's say three more seasons. Uh, at a, at a decent level, I think he's clearly in. But then again, if you can say that about so many guys, and that's really what's frustrating, is because we love his career so much, it almost seems a little bit unfair that he just couldn't stay healthy. Uh, and 
you know, from a counting stats perspective, he didn't even reach 300 home runs for his career, though he hit uh, 303, 384 on base, just under 500 slugging. So those stats are really solid. But just that longevity, if he just had, you know, you, you it doesn't even have to be more years. It just has to be more games in some of those yeah. seasons. But absolutely. I mean, and, and you know how hurt he was. You talked about the DH. He only played 33 games in his career at DH. And he was in the American League from 1994 all the way till 2000. So to only play 30, that, that's how hurt the guy was. He couldn't, he couldn't even hit. Uh, I, I remember he had uh, elbow uh, issues, and it all stemmed from that uh, elbow that he uh, didn't he break his elbow uh, his rookie year, correct? Uh, collision at first base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I, I was just trying to remember what that injury was. Yeah, and so that kind of derailed him the rest of his career. He had that elbow issue for for the rest of his career. That's going to affect your batting. That's going to keep you out of quite a few games. Then he had the knee issue, too, that was uh, pretty big in Texas. So uh, quite a few injuries. Um, but we talked about, too, like the outfield position. You expect certain numbers out of a position. Well, first base, that, that's a known power position. Um and so when you look at Will Clark's numbers, and he didn't play in the in the boom or bust era, you know, he played in the late 80s or you know, throughout the 90s, um, but only two guys in the Hall of Fame have less home runs than Will Clark at 284, and that's Bill Terry and Jim Bottomley, and that's it. And and those are the only two guys that also have less RBIs than him, and, and he had 1,205 for his career. And so I've that, never heard of Jim Bottomley either. It, Exactly. Yeah. And, and nobody has. So, that's the first time I think I've ever said his name out loud. Sorry, Bottomley family, if there are <laughs> folks still around in that family. Who knows? I've got to go back and look because I, I think Bottomley played in like the, the early 1900s. So, yeah. so that should tell you. I mean, it's a, it's a home run position. It's a power position. It's a Jim Tomey position. It's a, you know, it's a... Uh, who are who are some other? As a Willie McCovey position, mm-hmm. you've got. I mean, it's a home run position, and that's not well, that wasn't Will Clark's thing. But that swing and the getting the hits and driving up that batting average from 1987 to 1992 for four out of his five years in there, he was a top five MVP vote. So. He started out just absolutely on fire. And yeah, the injuries derailed him. Maybe he didn't want to leave San Francisco. Yeah, I don't think he ever really wanted to leave San Francisco. Uh, he went to a home run hitter ballpark in Texas and just it really never translated there. Um, and so I think, and, and again, that hurt him. It was the power. It was the being sapped of the power um, from, from his elbow issues. So, you know, it, when it's all said and done, I, I can't put him in and I can't put him in only because of the position he plays. Now let's say he was a shortstop with these numbers. Sure. He's probably in especially for that era, he's probably in. But at first base, with everybody else playing during that era, a first baseman with bigger numbers and and, uh, more home runs and more games played, I just don't think he get in. I just don't think he's ever going to get in. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. But the uh, interesting comparison 
is going to be Joe Maurer, who started off as a catcher, but then ended up his career uh, at first base. And he's got less home runs than Will, but he does have uh, quite a, quite a, a bit higher of a batting average. So I think that's an interesting comparison when Maurer's name comes up. And and they're going to look at his games at catcher and say, well, you know, we don't have many catchers in. Mm-hmm. And this guy hit, uh, what, what did Maurer hit for his career? Good question. And, you know, we talked about this when we were talking about Posey, right? Because Posey... Posey's career parallels a little bit offensively with Wills in that it starts off where you think that this guy's a surefire Hall of Famer, and then offensively, injuries and and whatever add up. And, and, you know, for for Posey, it's more about the position and him being beat up by playing that position. Uh, Joe Maurer, actually, Joe Maurer only hit 306 for his career, so only a few ticks higher than Will. And I think what's deceiving about that is those, what, what did he hit, 360 one year or something yeah. like that? 360, yeah, 347, 365, 328. He led the league in hitting twice. Yeah. And and overall, his uh, his OPS uh, average, I think, what was Wills? He's at, he's at an 827 for his career. I'm not sure what Wills was. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, if you look at it that way, you're like, well, Will has a better... Has 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 a better argument than Maurer does, but I think because what you said, which is he's playing some of his his career at catcher, those numbers look a little bit better. Yeah, that's a that's a wanted position in the Hall of Fame. You you get a guy like Maurer who plays as many years as he does, hits as well as he does, and you have to say, well, he's a catcher, and that's uh, what we're looking for. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's it doesn't. I shouldn't say it doesn't take much to get in if you're a catcher, but you have a a clearer shot if you're a really good hitting catcher. And that's why I think, you know, down the line, I think Posey gets in with another year or two under his belt of, of uh, you know, the type of player that he 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 can be uh, hasn't been the last few years, but can be so. All right, I don't want to spoil the the tournament here too much because uh, I want people to listen to that on YouTube. Go to our YouTube page just type Thompson to Clark into YouTube, you'll find our page. But we should say that the series uh, went seven games. 2003 wins four games to three. And 2010 was up after game five, three to two behind Tim Linscombe, who goes 2-0 in this series, beats Jason Schmidt twice. And then 2003 comes back whipping the whipping the 2010 team in game six and beating the crap out of Matt Cain two starts in a row. They win game six, 13 to one. So we come into game seven and game seven is nip and tuck and nip and tuck. And 2003, the World Series killers, because they also beat the 2012 team along the way, beats the 2010 team in game seven, six to five. Uh, Barry Bonds is your MVP. He hits five home runs in the seven games. Uh, you know, the running joke throughout the games that we're talking about is just, I'm just saying, Bochi, just don't let Bonds beat you. Nobody else can hit around him. And nope, Bonds just, they're pitching to him every single time. Yeah. So, yeah, Bonds goes uh, four hits, 429 with a 515 on base and a 1.036 slugging, five jacks, 10 RBIs in 28 at bats. So, 
That 2003 team, man, that was one of the sneaky teams of that year just because they they rolled through the regular season. I I don't remember how many games they won the West by, but I don't think it was that close. And then, you know, they just just had a brain fart in in, in the divisional series and lose that to the Marlins. Uh, Is that the year the Marlins go on to win the World Series? Yeah, so... We got bounced by the Marlins in 97 as well, right? So I think it was 97 and 2003 we got bounced by the Marlins. And those are the two years that they won the World Series. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we were their lucky charm, man. Oh God. I mean, that's pretty much how it went. I'm, I'm looking up the standings right now because I am kind of curious. I know that 2003 team just pretty much rolled uh, from start to finish. They weren't a wire-to-wire team. Um, let's see. 15 and a half games over the Dodgers. Yeah, I remember them. Just so with a, a couple weeks year. left in the season, they pretty much wrapped it up. Yeah, that, that was, it was a good team. But, you know, as we say in, in the series, they were missing like one or two things. And one of them was, was just the, the hitting behind Bonds. The second thing is they trade for Sidney Ponson to be the number two. He was not fantastic. He wasn't bad with them. But there, there was just nobody after after Schmidt. And then they also didn't have a closer because then, you know, Worrell pitched well for, for the, the season. And he actually had a good year. But he wasn't Rob Nen that they had the year before, who was like automatic. So, so the Marlins that year, just throwing that out there, they they beat us three games to one. Uh, I thought it was, I thought that was a three two series, but it was not. It was three games to one. Makes it even worse. Yeah, exactly. And then that was the uh, was that the Bartman season. Cubs right. and Marlins, uh, seven games in the NLCS. That was Bartman. And then they went on to beat the Yankees in the World Series, four games to two. Wait, did you say the Giants were wire to wire? I said I didn't think they were wire to wire. They were absolutely wire to wire. Were they? Excellent. They, they are. They start season seven and zero. At the end of uh, at the end of April, they are nineteen and seven. Jeez. And then. They head into the All Star break at uh, some. Let's see, forty two. Is it forty two? Let me see this. Um, when is the All Star break? Oh, I, I had the wrong month. So they head into the All Star break um, at fifty seven and thirty seven. They're up five games in the West, and then the they they just start reeling off wins. And that goes into double digits by the end of July. So in two weeks, the lead goes from five games to 12 games. And then from there, they kind of just played with, with the lead. Got down to nine and a half. Then it got back up to, like you said, 15 and a half. So they were they were all over it that year. Like just every, you know, pretty much the entire season, they were the team in, in the National League. Although, I, wanna, I wonder what the, what the other records were in that season. Uh, Cause I, I just sort of remember the giants uh, being like the best team in baseball. Like I just assumed that they were clearly the best team in baseball, but no, well, the Atlanta Braves actually had one more win. Of course. Who else is it going to be? Yeah. Who yeah. else is going to be one game better than us? The, the Atlanta Braves had one more win. The Cubs only had 88 wins that season. So they had a, a, a bad uh, central division that year. Um, and then looking at the AL, 
Let's see what the AL. But the Yankees. The Yankees had 101, and yeah. the the uh, Athletics had at 96. So Giants were by record. Now the Giants played one less game than everybody. So if they played the 162, they may have also had 101 wins, just like the Braves and the sure. Yankees. So they were right there. Let's just say they did. Yeah. Let's just make it like that. But then that makes the losing to Florida three to one even worse. Well, then, and the Yankees had 163 games. Why is that? I I want to know how that happened. Because well, no, it says it's listed. They have 101 wins and 61 losses, but for some reason, it's showing 63 games in the total. That's on Baseball Reference. So I wonder if that's an error. Yeah, that well, can't be probably. Right. Um, but yeah, all right. So that's going to be it from here. Check out those YouTube videos; they're a lot of fun. Brad and I just kind of goof off for a little while, but I mean, there's some cool information in there too. It was a good time. We're going to give you lots of good info in there uh, about some past players. Um, we touch on Jesse Fopper, right? <laughs> the 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 uh, the myth and the legend of Jesse Fopper. Who else did we talk about in there? Uh, we talked about Jeffrey Hammonds. Yeah, Jeffrey Hammonds made an appearance. It was and, like uh, every time a big part. Every time a guy came into the game, and usually it was like a, a reliever. We're like, oh, I forgot about that guy, Scott Iyer. <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh, Matt Hergis, <laughs> Joe Fontenot, G- Joe Fontenot. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, uh, it was hilarious to remem- reminisce on on some of those guys. Guillermo Moda coming in. Oh yeah, so. But anyway, so like I said, we'll be off next week. Hopefully you got a little bit more than uh, than usual uh, with this show. We went a little bit longer, actually quite a bit longer than we normally go. So, uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully uh, everyone has a good couple of weeks and then we'll be back in two weeks with this show, with the Thompson and Clark podcast. We got a lot more, you know, we're with, like I said, Blue Wire Hustle is behind us and we're going to try and make this thing bigger and better and everything else. And uh, happy Gobble Gobble Day coming up and be safe. Absolutely. All right. For Brad, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.